Welcome to our last Chi Alpha Winter Quarter. One long tear. So sad. How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. Well, if you forgot my name, my name is Brandon. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Hey, wasn't that awesome getting to pray for the SBO teams? That was super cool. Hey, can I encourage us as a group? Will, will we pray and continue praying for our SBO teams? Not just tonight, but can we keep praying even during the SBO week? If you're going to Idaho, will you pray for Colorado? If you're going to Montana, will you pray for the other groups? We want to pray, pray, pray. God is going to do some amazing things at SBO. Amen? Amen, Amen to that. Hey, I'm just going to invite my Bible pastors to come up right away. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, we would love if you had one to go through the scripture. Uh, so if you don't, our Bible pastors would love to get you one. So just raise your hand, high and confident. And uh, if you don't uh, have a Bible at all with you at Central, come on. You should keep this and please don't give it back to, you, to us. We don't want it back. Maybe your roommate could use a Bible. Just, just take a Bible. We would love for you to have it. So we're at our final message of First Peter this quarter. Have you guys been enjoying our series? Yeah, nod the heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been exploring what are we supposed to be doing as God's people when we face trials, suffering, and persecution, right? We've been talking a lot about that. And I get the privilege of wrapping up this series tonight as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5. But before we jump into that chapter, I would love to tell you guys a story. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, has anybody ever been on a team sport? Okay, highly recommend team sports all day. Uh, I personally played baseball my whole life uh, through high school. So my dad literally has videos of me at like one years old playing baseball. Uh, this is me in high school. Yeah, my senior year. <coughs> I did have hair. It's a miracle. So this is me and my folks. Uh, and then this is our senior photo. And the cool thing is that every single guy in this photo outside of one, I played baseball with from six years old all the way to 18 years old. Isn't that awesome? We got to play baseball together. Isn't that awesome? So if you guys don't know how a baseball team is formed, uh, there are players and there are coaches to a baseball team, right? Well, in baseball, there are nine players that play nine unique roles in the field, and they also come up to bat each and every inning that they can. So for me, I was a substitute pitcher. I was also a sub infielder, and then I got a bat uh, each and every time I came up. So your team is made up of your players. Your team is also made up of your coaches. So your coaches are responsible for leading practice each and every day. Uh, they're, they're responsible for determining what position you're going to play, uh, what batting order you'd hit in. And it's crazy how in sync coaches and players need to be on the baseball team. So Ryan's going to be my uh, third base coach right now. And so I'm just going to give you an example of, of one way that you're supposed to be on the same team. So for me, you know, I would come up and I'd kind of do my... Tap, tap, tap. And I kind of like stared on the pitcher like, oh, I'm about to crank this home run. Uh, but what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to step out of the batting cage or out of the batting box. And I'd always look at my coach before each at bat. And then Ryan, my coach, would do this. Okay, what, what did he say? What did he tell me to do? You have no idea. Okay, you don't know what to do. Because in practice, we would talk about Ryan, you sit down. Everyone give a hand up for Ryan. Because in practice, your coach, he actually told me to bunt. So you didn't see it, uh, but he actually told me to take my bat and bunt. <laughs> Coaches and players need to be highly in sync in team sports. 
And there was one game in particular that really tested our ability to function as a team. Uh, when we were playing in a tournament and a Canadian team uh, came across the border and played us and we always wanted to beat the Canadians. Uh, we went into the final inning in this game and we were down by seven runs. Okay, now if you know anything in baseball, like that is a big task. That's like a lot of runs. Uh, most teams, if they even score seven runs in the whole game, that's like, we hit really well that game. We were down by seven runs. We needed seven to win the game. So as you can imagine, morale's kind of low. Team's not really vibing, not really thinking we're going to win, win the game. We're probably going to lose. But our coaches are like, hey, everyone get together. Like, come on, bring it in. So we like bring it in. Our coaches are like, we can win this game. We can do this, we can do this, and we can do this. I believe in you guys. We can win this game. Don't pout your heads. Don't put them down. We can win this game. It's not over. And the guys were like, okay, we'll win the game. So we like rallied together, got super excited. And guess what? We won the game. We won the game. It was like one of the most stressful at-bats in my entire life. I came up with one. We were losing by one run. There was a runner on second base, two outs, and I was up to bat. So we literally got six runs. I got a hit. Scored the tie-in run. It was awesome. We ended up winning in extra innings. It was awesome. In the midst of adversity, our team rallied together, coaches and players, to get the win. Do you guys know that as followers of Jesus, we are also on a team? Do you know that all of us have an important role to play on God's team? Tonight, we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to see how God's people function as a team in the midst of persecution. So please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 with me, and we'll read. I'm going to pray first. Lord, we want to hear from you, and pray, God, that you'd speak to us through your word. Pray that Peter's words to the church would um, really just speak to us tonight. Lord, show us how we're a team. Show us how we are your flock and you care about us. God, we just invite you in. We love you. We want you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to read the whole chapter, yo. Okay, starting in verse 1. Peter says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. 
She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter starts off chapter 5 here addressing the church as God's flock. And he starts giving instruction to shepherds of the flock and the flock themselves. Now, the image of sheep and a shepherd, it was very common to Peter as scripture refers to God as our shepherd throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. So I think we had got some verses here tonight to read. Right, Rowan? So we got here in Genesis uh, 48, 15. This is Jacob. And he says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. We've got 2 Samuel 7, 7. Let me step back. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, Psalm 20, 23, 1 we've got here. King David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And then we see Jesus speaking literally to Peter, and he says this in uh, John 21. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So why does the Bible use this analogy of sheep and a shepherd so much? Why has it been from Old Testament to New Testament? What are we trying to learn from this analogy? Well, I've been playing a new game recently. It's called Elden Ring. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. Okay. Most people don't. It's okay. It's really hard. It's really fun. It's like way out of Braden's skill level. There's like no way he could keep up with it. It's, yeah, he's all in Minecraft life. Okay, this game is like, like literally super hard, yo. Like the, the enemies in this game are crazy. Like there's like 50 foot tall bears. They're like cat scratching the trees. And I'm like, what the heck? And then there's like massive dragons and stuff flying around. I'm going, what in the world? Well, the other night, I was just riding around on my loyal steed in the game when I noticed something. In, in the midst of all these, like, crazy like, mega bears and dragons flying around, there's just sheep all over the game. And they're all alone, and they have no shepherd, and there's no flock. And they're just getting picked off, picked off, picked off. And the Lord, like, because God can speak to you at any time, man. God in the middle of my game just, like, grips my heart. I just have compassion for these, like, computer sheep. I'm like... <laughs> They're just like, it's like one hit and they're just done. Like, they have no chance. God just spoke to me the vulnerability of sheep on their own. You guys realize how vulnerable sheep are on their own? Not just in my video game, in real life. How vulnerable are sheep on their own? How do they defend themselves? What? The analogy of sheep and a shepherd reveals the absolute dependence we have on God as our shepherd. There may not be 50-foot-tall bears, dragons flying around to pick off the sheep, but Scripture is very clear there is a devil, and there are his demons, and this is way, way, way worse. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Sheep, lion, whoa. Your enemy is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you guys see why God would use this imagery? It should grab our attention. We're so dependent on our true shepherd. He uses his imagery. It's clearly showing how much we need God. Look back at verses 1 and 2 with me. 
Peter says to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So in the midst of the persecution and the adversity and the challenge, Peter calls the leaders of the church to shepherd the flock by watching over them. So what do shepherds do? What are the responsibilities of shepherds? Well, shepherds are called to lead, they're called to feed, and they're called to fight for the sheep. Shepherds are called to lead by bringing guidance and direction to where the sheep need to go. Shepherds feed the sheep by providing for all of their needs. And shepherds fight for the sheep by warding off threats. Anything that could pick off the sheep, they fight off. We know that spiritual leadership is incredibly necessary, but Peter's trying to get at it's extremely necessary in the midst of persecution. In verse 3, he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Because when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So what is Peter saying that these leaders should do, these shepherds of the flock? What are they supposed to do? He says they're called to embrace a heart of servanthood, and they're also to be examples They're to embrace being servants, and they're to be examples to the flock. How many of us know that the best leaders are the ones that are humble and the ones that serve? Leaders that lead by example, their actions and their words always follow. They're not hypocritical. This is what leaders of the flock are called to do here. Peter is now writing uh, in this story, uh, in this book, he's writing specifically to leaders in the church. But remember we talked a couple weeks ago about timeless principles in scripture. We always need to say, what's the timeless principle here? Well, the timeless principle in this text is that all followers of Jesus are called to shepherd. Every single one of us is called to shepherd. Every one of us that is a follower of Christ, we are all called to shepherd. It's just going to look a little different. So what do I mean by that? Why are all of us called to shepherd? What do you mean, Brandon? So you've probably heard us teach by now, Matthew 20, 18 through 20. I'm not going to say it because you probably know by now. Uh, But Jesus says all disciples are called to make disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Every single one of my disciples go and they make disciples. In Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 2, Jesus says, "Pray uh, pray for workers to go in the harvest field. There is a harvest Pray for workers to go. So this isn't just specifically for First Peter's audience. There, there is a call to shepherd for every single one of us. Now, we might not be called uh, to pastor a church or direct a Chi Alpha group. I have been, uh, but you might not be. Uh, but can you shepherd your roommate? Can you shepherd your classmates? What about when you get hired one day and people pay you to be a missionary and you're Uh, workplace? Will you shepherd the people you work with? Will you lead? Will you feed? Will you fight for them? Will you shepherd them? God gives each and every one of us a flock to care for. Who is your flock? Who are you called to serve? Who are you called to be an example to? The next thing Peter does 
is he transitions to a word of instruction to those in the church under uh, the church's leadership. So under those shepherding the church. So read verse 5 with me. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So let's just be honest tonight. Uh, A lot of us have a really hard time with authority figures, right? We have a hard time with authority figures. Like who, honestly, like who loves having somebody have authority over them? It's, yeah, maybe our Enneagram twos. (laughs) Maybe our Enneagram twos. Definitely not our Enneagram sixes, though. Our, our Enneagram sixes are not, not vibing. But well, why is that? Why, why do we have such a hard time? Why do we have such a hard time with authority? I think a lot of it comes down to how we talk and hear each week uh, things that people are saying about authority figures, maybe even our own words. I'll never forget when I uh, started to do the internship, and, and I'd been like doing like three intern meetings, and it, it was right before the internship had started, and Michael asked me to go to an internship meeting on the same night of the NFL draft. So me being you know, a faithful facilitator, faithful intern, said, hey, Michael, I really would love to watch the NFL draft tonight, you know, the first like five picks. Can I please miss this intern meeting? What do you think Michael said? No. no. You need to come to this intern meeting. Do you think my words about Michael's authority over me were happy and exciting after that? No. Sorry, Michael. I was not happy. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I did every meeting. I was not happy. I, wa- I wanted to watch the NFL draft. It worked out as fine. But, but in all honesty, though, how many times do we hear a complaint versus a compliment to someone in authority? How many times do we hear about a leader's failure for every single time we hear about their success? When was the last time we heard anything about our president doing anything good at all versus something we don't agree with? How many times do we hear an affirmation about our professor versus a complaint about our professor? Guys, we're in a culture that wants to complain about authority versus submit to it. God's people are instructed to have absolutely none of that. But to be people submissive and trusting towards leaders, and especially towards leaders in God's church. This is obviously assuming these leaders are functioning biblically. just want to say that. Peter's very clear about that. So what does this look like for us now? What does this look like for us in Chi Alpha? Why should we be submissive? Why should we be submissive sheep? I think one misconception we have about uh, leadership, maybe right or wrong, uh, is that leaders are trying to lord their authority over us. And a lot of times that even trickles into how we perceive spiritual leaders. They're, they're just trying to lord authority over me. Uh, that's, that's not true at all. Mark 8, 34 through 38, not going to read, uh, but Jesus talks about denying yourself. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. Pick up your death sentence, pick up your cross, and come and follow me. Lay down your life, because you will find it in me. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus is talking about himself. He says, the Son of Man came to serve, not be served. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate example of servanthood, as he gave his life literally to save the world, to save the flock. When Jesus talks about picking up your cross, he literally did that. 
That's our chief shepherd. That's our chief example. Biblical leaders model the true shepherd by laying down their life and serving. It's about dying to yourself. It's not about elevating yourself. It's about dying. Servant leadership is countercultural to most people in leadership nowadays. Have you noticed that? There are exceptions, of course, uh, but outside the authority of Jesus, it is very easy uh, in leadership to be filled with pride. You now get to serve me. I have made it my way here. You shall now serve me. I have done this. That is not at all what Peter says. He says, clothe yourself with humility. Shepherds are to be clothed with humility. Sheep are to be clothed with humility. Let's reread verses 2 through 3 and 5 again. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that are under, the, under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humility, guys, means lessening ourselves. It's not trying to elevate ourselves over other people. Why should we be submissive? Because biblical leaders are commanded to shepherd the flock in humility and servanthood. They're called to serve you. As God's flock, we will find ourselves in positions of shepherding, and we will find ourselves being shepherded by others. And this means that we embrace humility both as a shepherd and as a sheep. We get clothed with humility, not in pride. How are you doing at that? How are you doing at submitting yourself to your spiritual leaders? How are you doing at submitting and trusting your facilitators' leadership? Do you believe the Lord is using them to speak to you? Do you take their words so seriously and apply them because they're trying to serve you and help you? How are you doing at taking their encouragement and their direction in your one-on-ones? I'll never forget my junior year is my first year here, and uh, Tony Wynn was discipling me, and uh, it was like the first one-on-one or something we had in winter quarter, and Tony just said, hey, what if you just said yes to everything Kai Alpha had to offer for the rest of the year? Can you imagine what God would do through you and in you if you just, every opportunity said yes, winter camp, like everything, spring camp out, discover the nations, if you just said yes to everything, what could, what could God do? I'm so glad I submitted and I trusted Tony because God grew me in that year more than I could have ever hoped or thought of because I submitted and trusted my leader and said, I will do that. You're totally right. I will follow. Thank you for that advice. How are you doing at submitting? How are you doing at trusting? How are you doing at shepherding others? What sheep is God giving you to shepherd? How are you leading? How are you feeding? How are you fighting for them? Let's read uh, verses 8 through 11 here. Join with me in verse 8. Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
Do you guys know that God is not the only one interested in you in trials and persecution and suffering? Do you know that God is not the only one interested in you? As Peter's concluding this letter, he says a very ear-opening statement. He says, suffering and persecution are not your enemy. They're not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Think about that. It's not the threat of death every day. That's not your enemy. It's not your, the people slandering you, insulting you, cursing you out, can't believe you're following Jesus. They're not the enemy. It's not the people that we're working with each and every week that are making our lives hard. It's not the authority figures challenging us, making it hard. It's not the housing market. Wait. Oh, yeah, that's for me. <laughs> it's not the housing market. It's the one waiting behind the trial who wants to pounce on you. That's the enemy. It's not the persecution. It's not the suffering. That's not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Peter says your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That devour is an image of just total annihilation and bloodthirst. It's like a complete consumption of the prey. This is strong language, but it should wake us up. If the goal of the Lord in our persecution is holiness, Satan's goal is complete rebellion. If the goal of God in persecution and suffering is holiness, Satan's goal is rebellion. One of the greatest temptations of the devil is to isolate ourselves from the body, to isolate ourselves from the flock, to isolate ourselves from the shepherd. Question, when is the sheep most vulnerable? It's when they go off on their own, they are the most vulnerable. When they're away from the flock, when they're away from their shepherd, that is when they're most vulnerable to the lion. How often are we tempted to miss time with the flock, to miss time with our shepherd? Why is it that core, Chi Alpha, maybe discipleship class, uh, church, God times, why are, why are these some of the first things that get thrown off of our schedule when we get busy? Let me ask you, do you really think that's you making that call every time? Do you really think that's you? Or do you think somebody maybe wants to isolate you outside of the flock? Guys, don't fall into this trap. Don't fall into isolation. Always prioritize, prioritize time with your shepherd and with the flock. I can't tell you how many times when I was sinning, it was like, I don't want to go to my one-on-one. It was just spiritual warfare. Like, I do not want to go to my one-on-one because I've been sinning. I don't want to go to Kyle. I don't want to go to Kyle. I don't want to go to Kyle. That's the devil. That's not me. That's not the Lord. Peter, when he's speaking to his audience, he says, you must stand firm. You must resist him. What is he talking about? What does he mean? It means get girded. <laughs> get girded. You missed our message. Uh, gird the hips of your mind is what Peter's saying. Gird the hips of your mind. So the clothing back in the day would have been kind of a relaxed poncho or a long shirt, I guess. And what you, would, what you do is when you're girding the hips is you, you, take, you take the shirt and you tuck it into your hips so that you're ready for action. It's not you're in a relaxed state of mind. You are girded. You are ready for action. It's like my golf, golf stance. <laughs> I'm like girded and I'm ready to hit that ball. What's Peter saying? He says, have minds that are alert and ready for action. 
don't just be relaxed in your mind and not ready for warfare. How many thoughts come into our mind each and every day that are demonic, that are not of us, not of the Lord? They're just straight of the devil. Not only are we supposed to have a mind that's alert, we're supposed to have actions that are ready for warfare. We're in a war. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12, Paul says this as he's concluding the book. He says, finally, he's speaking to a bunch of Christians. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus would say to his disciples in Luke 10, 18 through 20, this is probably my favorite scripture. He replied to the disciples, they just got back from SBO. They were like, whoa, God did so much. Even demons submitted to us. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Stand firm. Guys, you are equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not on the losing team. You're not even in the neutral team. You're on the winning team. When Jesus is saying the demons submit to you, it's literally a military term. means they, they arrange themselves under you. So when you walk on campus, you have authority in the name of Jesus. You are on the winning team. Do you know that? Do you embrace that? Do you walk in that? Stand strong. Standing strong sometimes looking like asking for help. We're a team, right? Sometimes we need help in warfare. We're a team. We don't just stand firm on our own. We, we, we help each other. We pray for each other. We ask for help. Guys, how aware are you of the warfare going on every single day in your life? Do you know who your true enemy is? How quick are you to pray against his temptations? How quick are you to say no to sin? Are you helping your fellow sheep in the battle? Do you see the flock going away? No. Pull them back. As we conclude tonight, worship team, you guys can come on up. As we conclude tonight and our quarter. And I want to ask you guys, why is it that my baseball team won that game? Was it because we finally decided to listen to our coaches and submit when adversity hit? Do we just disobey our, you know, and not submit all, we're winning the game. Dude, I don't need to submit. Like, we're winning. And then finally, when adversity hit, we're like, oh, we should probably listen to coach. Absolutely not. We've been functioning as a team the whole season. We've been submitting and listening to our coaches the whole season. No matter whether we were winning, no matter whether we were losing, we listened to our coaches and we put in maximum effort. And it was all the preparation throughout the season that led to that moment. It was the prep that led to the victory. As God's team, we have to be applying what we've been learning right now. We don't want to wait until suffering and trials and persecution come. They will come. We don't wait for that moment. We practice right now. We practice applying it right now. So my simple reflection question for you tonight, it's probably not even a slide, is what does God want to begin applying to you right now? 
whether it's about submitting to your shepherds, being a shepherd, what's he trying to get you to apply? And as you guys think about that, I'm going to pray and then pass it off. Jesus, thank you that you are our ultimate shepherd and our uh, victorious Lord. And Lord, we know that one day you're going to come back and um, totally annihilate the devil and his demons. You will totally come back and have full victory. And we just wait expectantly for that, Lord. We long to see you come back. We love you. Jesus, I just pray that you'd move tonight. Just be speaking tonight. Help us to apply what we've learned all quarter. God, help us to function as a team. If, if any of us are like, I've been like functioning on my own. I've like wandered off. Like, Lord, bring us back. Be the shepherd that literally finds the one sheep that's lost and brings them back to the 99. Lord, you're drawing us together. You're drawing us to you. Jesus, I pray that you would just speak to us in this time of worship, Lord. Help us to see how much you love us and how much you care for the sheep. Lord, show us how dependent we are on you. We are so dependent on you. We need you every single day. God, we love you. Thank you for 1 Peter. In Jesus' name.